there, welcome. We are Poldark Fancast, a podcast created by fangirls for us to talk about and obsess over the Poldark saga. We're your hosts. I'm Michelle, I live in the States. You can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses and I tweet at Musings. And I'm Rita, I currently live in England. I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark and I tweet at Rita Bites. Currently live in England. Well, you never know. Is that it? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that's true. Mm. Brexit. <laughs> okay. Anybody? It, anybody? Oh Lord. Anyway, welcome to book club, everyone. Uh, we are currently reading *The Stranger from the Sea*, which is f- it was first published in 1981. Uh, it is the eighth book in the saga and continues on from *The Angry Tide*. And if you cast your mind back to the end of season four, you'll remember Elizabeth died pretty dramatically, Ross and Demelza reconciled, and we had the beginning of a brand new century. Actually, that was season five. No, that was the beginning of season five. Elizabeth died at the end of season four. That's true. Hello! It's been a while, people. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, beginning of a brand new century. Uh, Now, uh, with this book... Uh, The Stranger from the Sea, um, it is set 10 years later in 1810. Uh, And I thought we could go through chapter by chapter and discuss what happened in each one. So we don't miss anything. So in chapter one, it began with a description of King George's descent into madness. And then on to Pamplosa, Portugal, uh, Ross is on a secret mission. He's there uh, ostensibly helping the crown when he runs into Colonel McNeil, formerly known to us as hot Scottish Captain McNeil of Whoa. twirly moustache fame, uh, <laughs> on the night before the Battle of Basago. So, between books, there was a 10 year time jump. Now, when you first read this book, did that throw you a little? Um, no, I am. Um, it. I don't. I don't remember. I read the books um ages ago. Um, but I've listened to the audiobooks, and um, I remember when I first read the books. Um, you know, I was like, okay, it's ten years later. Okay, that's fine. Uh, and just kind of went on with it, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, kind of hoped that we would get uh, caught up on some of the things that had happened during that period of time. Um, and uh, we do, in a manner of speaking, but uh, initially, no, it, it really didn't throw me. How about you? I think I was a bit like, what the fuck, when I first read it. <laughs> Um, because it just seemed so, because I was reading, I was like blast, blitzing through all of the novels yeah. and then suddenly there was a 10 year time jump. I think if I had read them as they came out, I would be like, oh, this is really cool. Um, because mm-hmm. I love a time jump. It's one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> <laughs> but at, the, at first I was like, well, what did we miss? Tell me everything. But don't worry, Winston Graham, he gets into the He's not going to look. He's, he's not going to leave us hanging. No. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think, um, you know, I like the way that he handled uh, the coverage of that time jump. 
um, you know, within the narrative, because, it, it, you know, in, in his beautiful narrative, uh, in the way that he's uh, so able to do, uh, and uh, really enjoyed learning about, you know, all the things that had happened uh, between Ross, Demelza, George, um, uh, Jeffrey Charles, who I know we're going to talk about uh, shortly, um, you know, everybody, and, you know, the rest of the children's. <laughs> so we get to the children's. I also love the way he introduced Ross in this chapter because at first you're like, like, fuck, we're in Portugal with four people. <laughs> and it slowly you start working out that, oh, one of those people's Ross. Like, he's, yes. like he comes in all mysterious, like, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a spy. It's like very, I right. wonder if Winston Graham was secretly wanting to do some kind of James Bond thing. <laughs> that would be an interesting thing to to research but uh but no i i i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it if not for um some of the characters that are introduced in this book uh i would have to say this was one of my favorites there were lots of historical references in this chapter this chapter was like full of them Oh, yeah. So did you know much about uh, the madness of King George or the Peninsula War before reading these books? Um, the latter, uh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not a popular war. And in, well, you know, and I mean, I love history. History was one of my best subjects in school. And so I was kind of surprised that I didn't uh, know uh, anything about this. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> So did you feel like Hello, Winston American educational system? <laughs> did you... Well, there was stuff going on in America at the time. A little. Uh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> do you feel like Winston gave you enough context so that you understood what was happening? Um. Yes, I do. I do. Uh, and um, you know, I have, um you know, since done some research, you know, after reading uh, Stranger and have since done research and, um, you know, enjoyed delving into uh, that little bit of history as well. So, um, but I'm sure you know a bunch about it. I mean, considering you would think from so, the right? <laughs> country where you came from. Um, but obviously I was educated in England and the Peninsula War mm-hmm. came up, but it was like very brief. All the stuff I know now um, is because I Wikipedia'd it <laughs> when I was um, <laughs> because I, I grew up very very close to where I was born, about twenty minutes away um, from where this takes mm. place. So, like, mm-hmm. I actually have photos of me like in the Covenant of Osaka. Um, <laughs> gardens from when I was a baby. I'm like about five months old, and they've stuck me in a bush. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a one of the most bizarre photos. Um, but yeah, I've sort of grown up around that area, and I didn't really know much about why that place was like historically important. And I've had to learn that myself because mm-hmm. the English education system kind of glossed over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, in particular, I really liked the chapters on King George because at first you're like, well, how the hell is this relevant? But then later on in the story, it becomes so important to like everything that's happening, mm-hmm. especially within 
George's character to George's. So mm-hmm. it's like really great that Winston managed to use history to impact their lives in a way that really makes a lot of sense. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like yeah. uh, outside of what happened with the Napoleonic War with like Dwight, that there really has been much introduction of how like the jostling in court and all the different political parties, like that wasn't really featured much in the previous novels. Um, Mm -hmm. It was much more prevalent in the TV show, I think. And having this kind of adds a different layer to Ross and you sort of see him as like a player in the whole country. He becomes like much more significant, I think. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Oh, I love this book. (laughs) (laughs) We're such nerds. Uh, (laughs) We're like, yeah. I know, I know, I know, but you know, it's awesome to have found a nerd sister. High five. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, uh, chapter two um, is where uh, Colonel McNeil leads Ross to a very grown up Jeffrey Charles, who is now known as Captain Poldark in his bat- uh, battalion. So. <laughs> the legend continues. Uh, um, he and Ross catch up, uh, catch each other up on how everyone is back in Cornwall, um, offering that opportunity to find out what's going on, everybody. Convenient. Uh, no, right? And uh, Ross offers to help them in the ensuing battle, as, of course, you know he would, because... Casual yeah, bit Ross. of Rossing. Uh, so how did you react to the maturity of jeffrey charles um loved it i'm kind of having to sort of uh disengage from the tv show completely to remind myself because i found like the character of jeffrey charles in the novels like the little kid low-key annoying Mm -hmm. so (laughs) when he became Mm -hmm. older and more mature i was like really surprised at how much i liked him and how Mm -hmm. he reminds me of like a less annoying version of ross like i don't think he has the same kind of um (laughs) i don't know what what it is about ross but he's just like a heat-seeking missile for trouble jeffrey charles is (laughs) is has all of the same characteristics but i think you know he's not more sensible but just some kind of kind of just like navigates the world slightly better i think yeah he's more measured um and uh you know i i really love to see the interaction between uh he and ross uh, you know in this time uh, and it was kind of like in the show it almost felt a little forced yeah um, you know, because they'd, you know, obviously kind of sped up his uh, maturing uh, a little bit so that it, they, it could work within the, the context of the show. Uh, and, you know, in going back and I'm listening to the audiobooks because uh, my eyes uh, hate me right now. Um, and, you know, listening to the two of them uh talking and bantering it it just feels much more natural yeah um 
They're much yeah. more equals, I think. And yeah. It always felt a bit odd in their interactions when he's like a 16-year-old and Ross is speaking to him like that. I'm like, he's still a kid. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a bit strange. Yeah. He was a kid, but, you know, of course, kids were not kids as long as yeah. they are now. So There was no uh, such but... thing as a teenager until, like, the 1950s where a marketing yeah. campaign basically invented it though so mm-hmm. you were just a child mm-hmm. and then you were an adult <laughs> yep yep so mm. um let's see uh what was the most surprising information about what had happened in the time jump for you mm. the thing about george i think finding out that george had a love interest slash potential wife was like <laughs> shocking to me yes um everything else seemed like kind of predictable like the kids are crazy uh mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. is adorable etc etc and then there's like george who's <laughs> the only one that i think like i don't know i could never picture him having a life outside of elizabeth until I read this and I was like, ooh, I want to know about that. What about you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it was, and, you know, I know that we're going to chat a little bit about um, Clowance in um, the next uh, chapter description. Um, I think it was Clowance was the one that was the most surprising to me. Um you know, she, first of all, she'd always surprised me because um, she was so fair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the rest of Ross and Demelza's children um, are, uh, you know, they have the, the darker hair. Um, and she just seemed to be this, this not changeling but i mean just this this uh now i'm imagining some kind of weird sci-fi <laughs> crossover <laughs> um but you know she just seemed like this very um um unique creature that um was living within the the poldark household and you know as as things progress um I'll, I'll voice my opinion about Miss Clowance as uh, we get further along. I get the this. sense that I might agree with you because I think she's yes. batshit crazy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some feelings about little Miss Clowance, but uh, we'll 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 get into little Miss Clowance uh, soon enough. So, in uh, chapter three, following a long ass description of George's marriage to Elizabeth, which I thought was very beautifully yeah. written, but like treading covered ground here, uh, yeah. we met an older and potentially mellower George Willigan back at Trenworth, thinking about the ghosts of Poldark's past, including everyone's favourite. <laughs> Witchy witchy Agatha. Um <laughs> when Clarence Poldark barges through his door. Something in the Poldark DNA makes you a trespasser. Uh we then yes. cut to Nampara where Clarence meets her mother and describes how George yelled at her to leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so God. did you agree with George's account of his marriage to Elizabeth? Um 
think so. Um, I think it was, um, it was nice having had uh, so many years distance from, you know, her sudden passing um, in order to um, hear George's recollections from a, a slightly mellower perspective. Um, so, you know, it, things weren't quite as, you know, uh, heady. Uh, as they were, you know, when we were in the moment. And of course, it he, he had the perfect right to be, um, you know, a little hysterical. I mean, his wife had just died. So, uh, you know, that it makes sense that, that he would be um, kind of uh, at wit's end uh, at that point. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I think it's one of those things that happens uh, naturally after the passing of a loved one. You know, the, the, the passage of time, while it doesn't um, erase the events, you know, it, and, you know, it has the tendency to provide you uh, a buffer uh, that can help alleviate uh, the sharpness of the initial loss. Uh, you know, you're never going to forget that. It's always going to be something that is um, a marker in one's life. Um, and, uh, you know, your life is different after you lose someone. It's changed fundamentally. Um, and, you know, after a while, that scar tissue um, becomes a little less sensitive. But, you know, it's it's always there. I feel like the loss of Elizabeth actually managed to, in the end, give him more perspective on himself and his relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think he he's actually thinking of things like very logically. And it made yeah. me sort of respect him slightly more just for being quite clear headed, mm -hmm. like. He knows his own mm -hmm. weaknesses and flaws in that relationship and he takes responsibility for them while still acknowledging mm -hmm. that, like, yeah, it, the whole relationship really hurt him on a fundamental level. Yeah. And even, like, ten years later, he's still sort of wallowing in that. Um, mm -hmm. I just thought it was, like, a very fascinating chapter to read from his perspective because I don't yeah. think we ever got that version of George in the previous seven novels. He was always just like in complete panic mode trying to survive all of these things. <laughs> and now he's just yeah. a little bit more mellower. Um, I sort of like mm -hmm. have, t I take a turn with this character and sort of really enjoy him as he grows older. Uh, it's really strange. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about all the characters yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay also in this chapter we need to talk about Clarence how did you react to her yeah. when you first read this chapter um I was kind of slack jawed <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was kind of like uh, who is who is this and how did she come to be and why the hell is she up here like why walking around in this house <laughs> really <sighs> It's like, girl, who are you? Who are you? 
I did really find it hilarious the way she's sort of retelling everything that George said. And like, she's sort yes. of like, a, and then he cursed at me. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then guess what he did? What? And Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, one thing that I know that we talked about uh, during the season five uh, shows is that moment where Clowence is staring through the fence up towards um, up towards the house and how much we loved that because it was going to be, um, you know, this slight obsession for her and uh, and uh, um, just just loved that. Uh, so I think in the <laughs> the second listen uh, through on this book, um, that image, of course, was fixed in my mind uh, of little Clowance, you know, staring up through that fence. And they did such a good job of casting that little girl. Like, I could just imagine her all yes. grown up being a little terror, like running through that. <laughs> like, yes. Hi, this is Trespassing. <laughs> Oh, it's gosh. it's weird though because as much like, as I was like, who is this person? There's so many elements of <laughs> Demelza and Ross in her, in like all the worst qualities that are in her. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not like Ross doesn't love a good yes. trespass into Trenwith, uh, unfortunately. Uh, th- that is true. Maybe it's hereditary. Um, that is very <laughs> true. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is. And you know we will come to see how some of the 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 genes manifest oh, themselves <laughs> as we get further into the story. <sighs> <laughs> oh God! And you know if you want an entertaining read, I know I've got some things that I've posted in uh, my Poldark Muses blog about my initial reactions to <laughs> to these books. Um, that will make for entertaining reading, I think, as we go through <laughs> um, the book club. So, okay, well, chapter four um, gives us a flashback to a party held at Lord Grenville's, where George meets and becomes attracted to Lady Harriet Carter. George reflects on the fact that he was so lonely, he was e- he'd even become attracted to someone he hates. Clowns Poldark when he saw her. Ew. Yeah. Uh, so he decides it may be time to pursue a marriage. After he learns Harriet is being forced to auction off her beloved horse, he buys it for her, and they start to send each other increasingly lengthy correspondences on who should pay for it. Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, what was your first impression of Lady Harriet? Uh, instant I loved her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, there's something about her. She reminds me a bit of uh, Caroline in that mm-hmm. kind of plithy way she replies to people, and like she's just like, I only care about hunting and my horses, and you know, <laughs> damned this whole political thing. Uh, <laughs> the the king may be mad, but she doesn't give a shit. Uh, no. Yeah, I just no. loved the energy she brought, and I thought like. What a complete odd pair they would make. Yes. Yes. You know? You know, here's George who is, you know, like constantly 
um, you know, trying to, you know, run from his past as a blacksmith's uh, grandson. And, um, you know, of course, he is now Sir George. And so he's got this title to live up to. And here's the perfect opportunity to kind of dabble within the the realm of the what would it be the uber gentry <laughs> aristocracy I suppose. Yes, exactly exactly so she, she's uh, a duke sister or i is think it a duke? so oh my god a fucking duke they're like uh, <laughs> oh god. i know there's a lot of dukes in romance novels but do not be deceived we don't have thousands of them running around <laughs> You know, you may have thousands of earls or, you know, something along those lines, but, you know, like a mark, a marquee or something like, although that's much more French. So, yeah. uh, but. I think you're a Marquess. Marquess if Mar- you are married to an earl. I think like uh, you inherit an earldom. That's like the level below an earl. I think you. Okay. You're a marquee until you become an earl. And then, but I think if you're married to an earl, you're always a marquess. And oh my god, this is so complicated. Why am I talking about it? <laughs> god, these titles are stupid. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I just Googled because, you know, this is how it works. Um, you've got king and queen, of course, prince, princess, duke, duchess, marquess, and marchioness. Oh, yeah, marchioness. Yes, earl and countess. Viscount and Viscountess, Baron, baron and yeah. Baroness. Yeah. I mean, being a Baron is not impressive. <laughs> that no. I know. No. I guess that's what uh, George is. He's a Baron. He's a Sir. Oh. Which is uh, pretty much the lowest you can get on the totem pole, but at least you're on it, you know? <laughs> oh, God. So, really, she is like several layers of gentry above him mm-hmm. it's like he's he's knocking a few out on the ladder yeah he is well good good on you georgie and for <laughs> once I, d- I feel like he was attracted her, to her before he before he knew she was like connected connected he was just like yeah. she's hot <laughs> <laughs> which you know george doesn't strike some you strike one as being you know a person that is gonna like go for somebody you know due to loinage <laughs> i think you he's know. pretty desperate at some moment <laughs> bless him he's thinking about 10 years is a long time to be alive <laughs> yeah true enough nothing true with enough. aunt agatha ghost like ugh, haunting <laughs> him and he's just you know all alone yes yes you know, and it, it's it's funny, you know, when, you know, we think about the show, um, he's not living in Trenwith anymore. No. And so, you know, for me, show George doesn't really have, you know, a place to rattle around and, and uh, well, wait a second. Let me take that back because he is living in Trenwith during the show. He eventually closes the house off, um, 
So thinking about, you know, his closing the house down and then we have this time jump. Um, I don't imagine he would be going back to the house. Well, no. But mm -mm. that's not what he promised that he would like close it up. Yeah. Closing up shop, moving to Truro in London. Uh huh. And never darkening its door again. Until they the make a, a sequel in 10 years' time. <laughs> you know, they'll be like, Podog reboot. Oh, God. They'll have to work that out. But anyway, We're anyway. About it. Um, do you think that George and Harriet are going to be a good match? Um. They could be. I think they have the potential to be, but they could also be a huge ass mess, depending on like how much time they want to spend together. Because I see them as having very different lifestyles. I'm like, mm-hmm. he's gonna want to stay in London, and she's gonna be like wanting to stay and like ride her little in the horses. country. Yeah. Yes. So, but generally, I'm like, she has the sort of temperament that I think George really needs. As much as I yeah. think. George and Elizabeth were a good match. I don't think she was light-hearted enough. You kind of need someone to sort of tease him a little bit so he starts to take himself less seriously because god damn yes. it, George. Yeah. Doom and gloom, man. What about you? <laughs> um, I think so. Um, I think that, that Harriet is definitely going to keep George on his toes. Yeah. And she is not going to put up with his shit. <laughs> I loved their corresponding backwards and forth because she was just like, nope. (laughs) I have said what I said. I'm not saying it again. I'm not writing back to you, bitch. Yeah, I think think this is going to be very much fun to um, delve into as we get further into the book. Okay, so chapter five, uh, Demelza finally appears. And she meditates on what has changed in the area over the course of the 10 years, including all of the deaths and new additions, including the Kellos. One of them happens to be friends with our very own Jeremy Poldark, who is now (laughs) 19, can you believe it, and spending every day out fishing with his friends. (laughs) On one of those expeditions, he and his friends find two people floating in the water, One of them is dead, and one is sort of kind of nearly alive. We then cut to George, who is back in London. He learns that the British won the Battle of Busaku, and that the king is mad. He's mad! (laughs) He's mad! And and all I can do is picture, you know, the movie The Man is the King, George. Yes. And picture the, the actor, like, running down the hallway in his little nightie. Wasn't that Captain Um, Picard? (laughs) think so it kind of it kind of looked like him but i don't think it was uh oh yeah it just kind of looked like him um it would have been better with like captain picard if you ask me oh absolutely it kind of looks like him in the poster i think that's why i got confused it was 1994 i was too young um (laughs) (laughs) yes but uh, my head, it was kind of yeah. Funny. That's that's what I picture in my head, um, and of course the lovely um, Helen Mirren um, is in that as well. God, she's just so magnificent. 
everything she touches. She's magnificent! She's very good at, like, royalty. Yes. Very much so. Um, I'm just looking at pictures of kings and 90s, and it's just like, somebody get him a robe! Yeah, please do. Because, you know, that's not an attractive Mm. look. Not what you want from your (laughs) royalty. Not an attractive look. No. Anyhow. um, So... Baby Jeremy's all grown up. What do you think of him? Um, I love him. Um, there wasn't really <laughs> much to go on in this chapter, but my initial impression was sus about what the hell he's doing on that boat. Yeah. Fishing my yeah. buttocks. Um, I also <laughs> loved that there was like a, a line in there where Demelza was like, oh, it was. it didn't feel like that long ago when I was like fishing and heavily pregnant with him and now he's off fishing himself. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's grown. Oh. Yes. Uh, she loves her boy so very much. And, uh, you know, uh, he was her solace during those um, months where Ross was acting a damn fool. Um, yeah. And uh, so... You know, it stands to reason that, you know, she's going to take what he says at, 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 um, you know, at his word. So, you know, he could be off doing God knows what. Be like, oh, my boy. My sweet boy. <laughs> oh, Demelza, 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 Demelza. Um, I liked him initially. Um, and I'll, I'll just save the rest of my comments for later. Okay. The Battle of Bisaka happened kind of off screen. Were you expecting some kind of description? Because I was like, ready for it. The way the way uh, there was yeah. build up. I was like, oh, the night before the battle. And then like at the end of chapter five, it's just like, oh, yeah, and the British one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, wait a second. What happened? What happened? Which, of course, as soon as I got to that point, I then went diving into what uh, actually happened? the Google yeah. machine. And, uh, you know, started to do some research on kind of what happened. And, um, you know, that was, that was, you know, a lot of fun that where my, my history bone got tickled right quite a bit. i was like kind of disappointed because mm-hmm. it's such a dramatic yeah. like event you're like they were outnumbered mm-hmm. there was fog there was reinforcements mm-hmm. happening it was like dramatic as fuck <laughs> it was the turning of the whole like peninsula war mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. a line or two <laughs> and it's like oh they won <laughs> okay oh. okay all righty then okay so, yeah, I mean, if you guys are interested in learning more about uh, the battle, uh, do uh, take some time and get lost down the Google machine and uh, uh, learn some pretty awesome stuff. And if you want to see, like, um, what the area looks like now, I was just there in September. I took a lot of photos. So if you go on my Instagram, <laughs> ah! one of my... Uh... You know, you can do those, like, saved stories things is Bisako. And I've got lots and lots of pretty pictures from the, the well, the covenant that they, they talk about and they never actually arrive at. It's now, um, well, it was rebuilt in the, a couple years later um, because 
we had a whole revolution. Um, and then um, mm, yeah. it's now a five-star hotel. Like, it's very fancy. It's very beautiful. Um, it was actually used by a lot of British soldiers during World War Two and stuff. They did a lot of their training for their espionage when they were about to go out on secret missions. I wonder if that's where Winston heard about it. Mm, very popular with uh, the other famous Winston, Churchill. <laughs> Uh, two instances there we go well maybe you could post a couple of your pictures on uh, On the the... uh, fan cast Instagram everyone head on over we're gonna have pictures you can be like ooh yay and you can also (laughs) see for yourself how much Winston is not describing the landscape of the area (laughs) There's a whole bit in the like the first chapter where he's like cactuses and shrubs and like I'm like bitch no <laughs> no it is not shrubby land it's like a fucking forest what what yeah and it wouldn't have changed over the last hundred years that much I mean come on but I'm assuming he never went there so you know it's fine Winston I forgive you there's no cactuses though which. <laughs> Which is a bit of a disappointment to me as a cactus yeah, like, where, lover. Where, it's like, where in the hell did the cactuses come from? <laughs> where did he get this description from? Um, it, it, I, it don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, you know, Portugal, you know, I, I am assuming that Portugal gets a little warm, but, you know, cactuses? Well, there is like a, there's like desert land at the bottom of a, uh, uh, the, the south and the Algarve, and then like, mm-hmm. you know what I? Th- but like, is it anywhere near Busaco? No, we're fucking near. <laughs> um, when I try to describe the Portuguese landscape to people, I'm like, it's sort of like a mini California, you know, where you have like, like desert at the bottom, and then the further up mm-hmm. you go, there's mountains and like forests, and it's very green, and there's like snow on the, the mountains and shit. And when you think about it, it makes sense because they're both on the ends of gigantic continents. They're like the mm-hmm. west coast of each other. Yeah, so he's just, I think, very, very, very wrong. I don't know. But then again, like, how would he have researched this in the 80s? There was no Wikipedia. God, sure enough. He couldn't have just Google mapped it. No, no. There'd be some serious time in the library. The library. And, like, who has a book about the landscape of fucking Bizarro and (laughs) Cornwall? (laughs) Very good point. Very good point. Anyway. Oh, Lord. Okay. Listener responses. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As part of the book club... Uh, We have a questionnaire up on our blog, and loads of you took us up on uh, filling out some of the the questions, and so we really thank you guys so much. Um, It's always great to get some different opinions, uh, and and, uh, so here is what you guys said. Um, An adult Jeffrey Charles was introduced in these chapters. What do you think about him? So Sandy Beach said, I think Jeffrey Charles got the best of the Poldark genes, much like his cousin Ross. Jeffrey Charles was was dealt some pretty rough situations in his childhood, his father's death, stepfather who doted on him, then wanted to send him away, then his teenage years, death of his fawning mother, 
<laughs> oh, understatement with warning. Uh, escalation yeah. of difficulties with the stepfather. Struggled with indebtedness due to his youthful foolishness. Yet he came through to accept the hand he had been dealt and distinguished himself in the military. He also accepted his fellow man much like his cousin Ross, selecting his friends by the nature of their characters and not their class in society. That's an awesome summation, Sandy Beach. Um, he's a pretty he's a pretty cool kid. Uh, Saul's sister said, The spoiled child and rakish teenager has matured into a hardened soldier. He has replaced his broken, dysfunctional family with a team of fighting men in the army. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't right? it? Um, <laughs> Jeffrey Charles now resembles Ross as a young man more than Francis, his father. He is impatient with the ruling classes in England, but has time for the ordinary man. For example, his continued affection for Drake and Morwenna, which in the books is sweet as hell. <laughs> I like how you're making the distinction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I really loved uh, Drake and Morwenna in the books and was just uh, <laughs> less than thrilled with how things wound up manifesting themselves in the show um i always loved the fact that jeffrey charles um maintains his friendship with drake you know far beyond his 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 uh childhood and you know really continues to appreciate uh the friendship and um kind of big brother um, feelings that he has for uh, Drake and Marwana. So I just, I just love that. Uh, Grace said the main feeling is of him having grown up and coming into his own. There is reference to him taking his mother's death hard and looking for escapism away from Cornwall. As a result, it seems that he had some years of aimlessness and recklessness, living where he may have tried to escape his woes through living beyond his means and enjoying frivolous activities, sinking him into debt a number of times. However, clearly his eventual escape to the army had had the greatest impact on his character. This may explain why the promise of becoming a lot like his father had not held. The army had hardened him in his discussions with Ross. We see him as opinionated and as politically aware as Ross. He had developed some harsh and cynical views on war and the parliamentary system, as well as the competence of the powerful decision makers. Overall, he comes across as focused, serious and determined young man who may have gone the other way given his earlier years of being spoilt and considered as a child. Yes, that's a... I think um, I get where you're coming from with the how he's different like Francis, but I mean, you know, I'm a Francis apologist, so I just see a lot of, like, <laughs> his the similar qualities. And I don't think Francis was, like, a terrible human. Yes, he gambled, like, that's a problem, but, you know, I just have so much affection for him. R.I.P. Francis. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Francis. Uh, no, really great summation. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that I really, re it really sums up all of the things that I like about 
the character of Jeffrey Charles in these books. So thank you very much for that. It also reinforces the idea that Elizabeth's death may have been a really good thing for everybody everywhere because... Oh, God! (laughs) As awful as it is to think, actually being without a mother that is so obsessed with him allowed him to become his own person and he probably wouldn't have... She would never have let him join the military like when she was alive. She would have been like, no! Oh, God, no! Uh, God, no. And it was, like, a very good choice for him. Obviously, it really improved Ross and Demelza's life, and George is out here being a better person without her, so I think <laughs> it's a win. Damn. Okay, send all hate mail. To me. Yeah. Come at me. <laughs> she's, she's ready. She's ready for you. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so did the time jump work for you, or... Do you feel robbed of those 10 years? We got some very different responses here. Mm-hmm. Um, Poldark Hart said, of course. Uh, there were loads of references to events that happened that are of interest to me. After Carolite lost their first child, the birth of their second would have been all the more meaningful. Of course, Isabella's birth too, because that's the one birth and pregnancy announcement we missed from Ross and Demelza. That might explain my bonding issues with Bella, lol. Uh, I loved Ross's reaction to Henry's pregnancy announcement. (gasps) And after Elizabeth... Yeah. Huh? Spoiler. What? Spoiler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that that, that is a big spoiler. Um, Let's see. And after Elizabeth had uh, not long died in childbirth, Ross's reaction and behavior to this this pregnancy, Bella, might have been all the more interesting and over the top. <laughs> I, yeah, I could imagine so. Um, I feel robbed of Jeremy and Clowns' child to teenagehood, but also the journey of Jeremy's passion for steam engine Spoiler. and slight estrangement. More spoilers. We'll just skip over that. Yeah, okay. Um, I would have also loved to have seen how Rosina and Sam's courtship came about and definitely the full playing out of that indecent proposal uh, from Trenagloss to Ross for a wife swap for some comic <laughs> relief. I mean... Oh, my God. I'm kind of glad we missed some of that personally. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Because, oh, my God, that would have pretty much been revolting. <laughs> oh, but thank you so much, Poldark Hart. Uh, Grace said, the first time I read the books, I was partially surprised and partially disappointed by the time jump. I was looking for Romelza content and skipping bits of history. Having read the books many times, I discover and learn new things each time I read them. There are lots of clues as to what happened in the intervening years. The history is fascinating and bits of knowledge I have retained have helped in pub quizzes occasionally. (laughs) We're all winners here. (laughs) Yes. Uh, the first time I read The Stranger from the Sea, I was younger than Ross and Demelza. Subsequent rereads, we become the same age and similar age children, and then the stories take on a whole new dimension for me. Ah, oh, oh, that's great. Thanks, Grace. Uh, Sandy Beach said, uh, because of the wonderful ma- ability or the masterful ability of Winston Graham to seamlessly weave in the details of a ten-year time gap, it worked for me. I understood where Ross was in his career, how Demelza accepted his adventures, and focused on what she needed to do to be his better half, how their love and relationship was strong, loving, and committed, the addition of Isabella Rose to their family, George's grief and reawakening of his need for a woman in his life, 
as well as his continued manipulation of people and circumstances to his best advantages, um, just to name a few elements that needed updating. Uh, Lauren said, Robbed in books. That's why I liked Poldark's fifth season on TV. Loved it. Can't understand why others didn't. We'd love to see a sixth season where they to fill in other gap years. Debbie writes such a great script and is supported by the Graham family. Let's see. Uh, George has got a new love interest. Are you intrigued by Harriet? Uh, Miner's daughter said, yes, she seems like she will put him in his place. Not particularly a nice person, but I like her for George for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Karen said, not really. So, so different from Elizabeth. It will be intriguing to see George get his comeuppance. Sandy Beach said, absolutely intrigued. The incident that reawakened George's interest in the physical need of his life i.e. seeing the young virginal clowns at Trenworth, <laughs> along with the typical Georgian method of selecting his second wife, was the reader set up to hope George <laughs> will get a bit of comeuppance. The contrast between Elizabeth and Lady Harriet in appearance and personality causes me to think and hope that George has met his match. Especially, I like reading of Lady Harriet, quote, her voice was husky and she had an attractive laugh, which was almost all breath low, indolent, and sophisticated. You felt there wasn't much she didn't know about life and didn't tolerate. Quite the contrast to Elizabeth. Oh. Yes! She sounds fabulous. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Bring it on. Um, Let's see. Absolutely addicted Poldarky said, yes, very much so. She is the opposite of Elizabeth, seems to be her own person, independent, and so is proving a challenge for Georgie. <laughs> Smiley face. <laughs> Saul's sister said, Harriet is amazing. She ends up being one of my new favorites. She reminds me of Caroline in a way. Uh, there you go. Uh, Grace said, loves the character of Harriet. Um, if ever the later books were made for television, I think her arrival would be a breath of fresh air, shaking everyone up, especially George. I would love to see the way she would not be manipulated by him and his confusion about what to do with her. She's not just falling all (laughs) over his money. It's like, ah. No, she is not. She is not. Okay, so Paul Hart said, yes, yes, yes. I freaking loved her from the start. Just dealing with what we are given in the first five chapters of this book, the intrigue is heightened because so much time is spent in chapter three setting out the background of George's, quote, acquiring, end quote, Elizabeth, (laughs) how he came to depend on her and the impact of her death on him. The fact that he had not been interested in another woman in the ten years before sets Harriet up as a woman who has to be quite extraordinary. It's also interesting that her physical description is practically the opposite of Elizabeth and that George is also so sexually attracted to her. Despite his deep feelings for Elizabeth, a strong sexual attraction to her was never really referenced. But he couldn't help looking at Harriet's breasts. (laughs) (laughs) Am I, like, a teenager? Why am I looking at this when talking to her? And this is referenced to as unusual for him. We don't know George as a particularly sexual character, and so the impact Harriet makes I makes in this respect from the outset is significant. Apart from Harriet getting 
big billing for being out of George's league as a sister of a duke. What adds to the intrigue is that the narrative makes clear that she is very much a different kettle of fish to Elizabeth. She's referenced as being, quote, more her own mistress, end quote. Also, the information he received about her turbulent marriage with her late husband screams out that this was not going to be a woman that would toe the line with him in marriage, but who would instead be a handful for him. George seems to ignore the risk of, as quoted, taking a dark and aristocratic widow with a slightly sinister history. (laughs) That's enticing enough as to what will become of such a union, such a union, I also loved that Harriet completely owned George in conversation, making him at times regret how he had said things and to exercise <laughs> caution with what he said to her. As well as that, she made him hustle hard for her <laughs> like never before. <laughs> so Even though she was in dire straits financially, she was a cool cat while he was courting her and at least gave the impression that he could not win her so easily by buying her things which he automatically expected would please her. To me, their letter exchange (laughs) Mm -hmm. was reminiscent of Carolite's one, and Harriet really did show herself to be a woman not so easily manipulated, having an unpredictable nature, and who turned George into a simpering puppy as he stewed over her letters (laughs) and stressed over his back. All this set Harriet up to be an intriguing character that was sure to make an interesting wife, and was already showing more personality in one chapter than Elizabeth had done in seven books. Mike Snaps! Snaps! <laughs> Snaps! Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Oh, God. That was awesome. I'm Clowns Poldark. <laughs> what an entrance. What did you think of her? Well, attorney MSB3 said, I like her, but did he really have to say she was unattractive and have her own father say the same damn thing? Oh, God. Thing? How many times did they call her fat? They were like, Ugh. I know. I wanted to I smack know. Ross. It made me, yeah, made me crazy. Uh, Sandy Beach, uh, she is her father's daughter, as Ross explains to GC. But she tends to be impulsive, to act by instinct rather than reason. I wonder where she gets mm. that from. Uh, she is, <laughs> I know, right? Um, she is young, naive, inquisitive, innocent, impulsive. She will be fun to get to know. And absolutely addicted Poldarky said, I love that moment. So beautifully described by Mr. Graham, pretty close to how I envisioned her. Brave, unaffected. She has that aura about her too, that certain something as her mother had and has which is irresistible to men. Oh, the crazy. It is strong and very attractive to men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Soul Sister said, yeah. I smell trouble. She had zero inhibitions and just waltzed into Trenwith like she owned the place. She had no qualms about trespassing and wasn't intimidated by George in the least. Ross gave us a glimpse into Clarence's personality in the previous chapter when he was talking to Geoffrey Charles, and she didn't disappoint for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Poldark Hart said, loved it. She literally killed George with kindness. As one of the Poldark children, he wanted to hate her, and though he was the one who seemed to be who seemed to present as the powerful figure of the two, she actually had the power in their conversation by refusing to be flustered or derailed by his manner. She was hashtag unbothered. 
George was attracted to her, and I think it, that is partially because she had the angelic quality that Elizabeth was often, sarcastically, said <laughs> to have had. In keeping with that concept, the also blonde Clowens is referred to as appearing like an apparition before George. Um, however, unlike Elizabeth, Clowens's interaction with George was fueled by genuine naivete and without any element of de or desire for manipulation. Ross previously found it fascinating that Demelza was able to charm and earn the respect of powerful men, and I think Clowens echoes some of her mother's nature here. Definitely her offer of flowers to a warlegan enemy and George rejecting this is reminiscent of Demelza doing the same with Elizabeth of the <gasps> Drooping even Blue Devils that. when she visited Nampara the day after Ross and Demelza got down and dirty. Me neither. Oh, you're so clever. Me neither. Oh, oh that's awesome. Let's see. Um, although this was also rejected by Elizabeth, both Clowence and Demelza, in a sense, had extended a hand of friendship piece to an enemy figure. I think Clowence also showed an optimistic outlook on life, just as Demelza was prone to in how she viewed and recounted this encounter. Ross seemed to be spot on when telling Jeffrey Charles of the differences in mother and daughter, and that Clowence was more wayward than Demelza, whose adventures usually had a solid purpose, while Clowence's behavior seemed to be due to casual impulse. I think she was indeed a bit of a flaky character that just floated around with no clear focus, albeit with a halo on her head. Oh God, she's going to be wearing flower crowns in no time, isn't she? Oh God. Okay, who are you oh. most excited to read about after the jump forward that hasn't appeared yet? Saul sister said Dwight and Caroline, of course. Caroline, blah, 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 Caroline, of course. Um, Grace, uh, hard for me to answer because I know the books well, but I'm looking forward to the Romelza conversations. They haven't really appeared together yet. So true. Absolutely addicted Poldark says, Romelza. <laughs> Ross and Demelza together. Besides them, Valentine and Ursula. I for completely forgot about Ursula. Sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, he has another kid. Uh, so... Yeah. Now on to our mailbag. Oh, mailbag. mailbag. Our first email is from <laughs> Peggy, um, I, who said, "I do absolutely love the 2015 adaptation of Poldark, and was very reluctant to watch the 1970s one, but after listening to your podcast, I thought I'd give it a try, and was very pleasantly surprised. Here are my thoughts on the 1970s adaptation." First and foremost, I really appreciate the fact that the 70s version is way less dramatic and emotional. Although I thought Aidan Turner and Eleanor Tomlinson and others of the cast were excellent in their roles, I could have done with much less heart-wrangling agony and heartache. I guess that comes down to the writing characterisation. I didn't hate Ross and want to slap him many times, as I did with the 2015 <laughs> version. In the 2015 version, he was always so moody. <laughs> I actually liked the portrayal of Elizabeth, especially since she finally got over Ross and moved on with her life. There was none of this, it will always be Ross, garbage. <laughs> Ross wasn't continuing 
continually admiring Elizabeth or being distressed about Valentine. In fact, I think Valentine was only shown once or twice at the most. Ross and Demelza in particular didn't even seem to seriously register the fact that Valentine could be Ross's son. And there was certainly no lingering friendship between Ross and Elizabeth. When it was over, it was over. Now, as far as characterization, I especially like the portrayal of Ross, Elizabeth, George, Caroline, Osborne, and Drake. But I didn't care too much for the way Demelza, Sam, Judd, Rowella, or Morwenna were portrayed. You didn't like Judd? Oh my god, but he was like... (laughs) 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 Thank heavens, the Drake-Morwenna saga was downplayed. Hallelujah. I liked that we didn't have to see Demelza and Hugh rolling around on the beach. I liked that we didn't have to see Ross kissing Elizabeth all over the face and kissing her on the lips when she was dead. Also, no excessive mourning or grieving when she died. One thing I did not like was the conversation between Ross and Caroline about sleeping (laughs) together. I know it was in the books, but it seemed out of place and odd the way it was done in the show. I, how do you pronounce her name, by the way? I know that Ang Harrod... Is it Ang Harrod? I think it's Ang Harrod, I know yeah. that Ang Harrod Reese was very well loved by the 1917s audience, but I didn't care for the way she portrayed Demelza. She was rather annoying to me. Controversial. Hmm. I may say that hmm. the music of the 1970s version is pretty bad, while the 2015... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the, the intro yes. music? Uh, uh, yes. yes. That brings me to my final component. <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of I'm awful. glad that we got to talk all over it because it was awful. Uh, yes, me too. <laughs> okay, that brings me to my final comparison. To me, the 2015 adaptation followed the books more closely in cap- captivating... You mean capturing and capturing their drama and emotion, but it actually went too far in that respect. When I watched the 1970s adaptation, I didn't end up being an emotional wreck after watching the tragic moments. <laughs> I also liked Ross better, he didn't seem to be as much of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, god, thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts on that, Peggy. Um, you know, seriously, if you guys um, are itching for more pole dark, watch the seventies adaptation. It's making me it's, feel uh, like it is definitely. I'm like, oh, it was good. I know. Um, uh, we just recently kind of rearranged the house a bit and uh, moved the office to uh, the other bedroom, and I came across all of my DVDs for uh, the seventies show. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, hmm, I think, think I may need to take really? another spin through I mean, I'd skip the episodes where they were in court because that was like the longest, most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. The rest of it was good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, anonymous, uh, when Ross encounters McNeil in Chapter 1 of The Stranger from the Sea, does it seem odd to you that Ross doesn't have any thoughts about what happened with McNeil and Demelza at Wary House? Long ago, when Demelza told Ross about her time with McNeil, Ross had an absolute fit. Wouldn't Ross have remembered that and treated McNeil with contempt instead of acting friendly? Um, uh, what do you think? No, I kind of think like this is more normal. It's been like 15, mm-hmm. maybe more years. Yeah. 
he's probably not holding on to that resentment anymore, especially because he knows nothing actually happened. If it was mm-hmm. like yeah. Hugh had suddenly come into his life, he would have yeah. missed. If it was Hugh, that would have been different. Yeah, if it, it would have been different. But, you know, he knows that nothing happened between Demelza and McNeil. And, and he understands why Demelza did that. Um, you know, she was absolutely hurt and devastated. And so, you know, he really didn't have a leg to stand on um, after his first little temper tantrum. Yeah, I feel it. like by the end so, of the book, he was like, oh, I shouldn't have got pissed off about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Ross, you learned. Exactly. Yeah, he did. Idiot, idiot man. Uh, so, our uh, <laughs> next question was from Grace. As someone of Portuguese descent, do you know if the occupation of Napoleon is still a part of Portuguese common knowledge, or has it faded into distant history? Uh, as the Napoleonic Wars are generally forgotten here and have been overtaken by the 20th century conflicts and memories. Um, I'm going to say the only aspect I, uh, that sort of still remains in, like, popular consciousness is that the Portuguese British relationship is very friendly they are one of the oldest um, allies in Europe basically because uh, Spain and France kept trying to fuck with us uh, so we bonded <laughs> and I would say that you know most Portuguese people know about that relationship the Napoleonic Wars itself is old news across the whole of Europe, I think, because we've had so many gigantic fuck-off wars since that, like, if we're talking about... And there were so many different, like, little conflicts within it. Like, you know, I don't think Portuguese people are sitting around thinking about Napoleon. Like, who the fuck is? Sorry, Napoleon, I know that's, like, your biggest nightmare, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, okay, you're done? Okay, great. Bye. 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 Everyone thinks you're short, even though you were just of average height. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, gosh. Well, guys, that's all from us in this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week where we'll discuss chapters six through nine of book one of chapter or blah, book one of The Stranger from the Sea. If you want to be a part of the podcast, uh, head on over to the blog where we have a few questions for you to answer. Uh, or you can email us at poldarkfancast at gmail.com with what you thought of the chapters. You can find us on your social medias at poldarkfancast. Uh, and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out about the show. Thanks again for listening and writing in, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Here's the thing. We started our friends. It was cool, but it was all pretend. Yeah, yeah. Since you've been gone.